0: So welcome along to our extended sermon, our expanded sermon on from the Sunday the 11th of February. We've been continuing through the book of Luke and so today we come to Luke chapter 13 verses 1 to 9. Last week we did the Lord's Prayer which was back in Luke chapter 11 and so you will have had the chance in between now and then to read through the bits in between. It's, we can't go through every single passage on our Sundays and so we're encouraging you to read it in between. There are... Uh, reading plans available if you would like one of those you can pick them up from our church or alternatively you can get in touch with me at jwfraser at presbyterianireland.org jwfrizer at presbyterianireland.org or send me a message through facebook or some other means and i would be able to get you one of those just to keep you up to date but today we're looking at this Luke chapter 13 verses 1 to 9 which for me is a personal passage it's a passage One of my first sermons was on this passage. I grew up in a church in Port Rush called Ballywellyn Presbyterian. And as part of your training, as part of your trying to see whether you're going to become a minister or not. And as I was pushing many doors back in the day. One of the things I encourage you to do is to essentially try it. So do a talk, do something in church, lead a service to try and find out whether people think that that's something you should follow or something you should pursue. And to see whether it's something you feel you should pursue also Uh, and even in that there's whole topics and that and all kinds of questions around that idea of calling and discerning and being guided by people leading services wasn't and still isn't something i overly enjoy because the way we do them it's quite kind of we move from one thing into the next and at times it's difficult to do the announcing in between those things and feel like it's genuine and heartfelt and you're just announcing him sometimes and so that part is it's not something anybody feels comfortable doing, I'm sure. But then uh, there are other parts that are like our children's dress or like our sermon. But anyway, when I was asked to do a sermon at Ballywollen, I wasn't looking at this passage as such. But there was a, a natural disaster that happened around that time. I think it was in South America. There was an earthquake. And so I had been reading and this passage stood out to me. And we'll see in a, way, in a minute. But I felt I had to do this. And so that always brings me back to that time when I read it. I always think back to where I was and what I was doing. And even the clothes I was wearing on that Sunday. It's all funny how the mind works in that way. But we'll read this Luke chapter 13 verses 1 to 9. Where it says, There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans. This is Jesus told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those eighteen on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed him, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable, A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit in it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find now cut it, cut, cut, cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And the vine dresser answered him, sir, leave it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down then. And we finish the reading there. Two very distinct parts to it uh, and we'll look at those in due course. But we'll start with the start. We'll start with this basic understanding, the most basic assumption, the most basic thing that lies in this passage which is the human question of why. We all have it, we've all asked it, whether it's something that's occurred to us, whether it's something we've seen happen to other people, whether it's something that's affected us directly, whether it's something that is indirectly affected us. We all, all have that basic human necessity, that human basic need, the human basic position of having to ask why. And often that's referred to others, but it's referred most often to God as, as in God, why did you let this happen? As in God, why has this happened? As in God, I have so many questions for you. Why, 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 why? And we tend to list them off. And so there is this most basic Premise that we see in this passage and we see and all those questions aren't questions that we've asked for the first time They've been going on for centuries and we see it here in the story of Jesus where we See some who come to him asking Jesus. Why did this happen? Why did Pilate? Mix and mingle their blood the Galilean blood with her sacrifices Jesus Why did this tar fall on these people in Siloam killing 18? Why 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 and it's interesting because behind that why for them we might ask it just as a purely why did it happen but the jewish mindset at this time and i think still lies in our mindset at times was this insistent of insistence of sin and punishment they would connect the two the human sin and suffering and so they would come and say well what has happened that these people suffered or sin in this way did, did they sin And hence Jesus answers when he's asked this. He says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? Do you think that these people who died in the tower in Siloam were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? And so there's this basic insistence that the Jews have that rigidly connects human sin and suffering. And sometimes we do as well. You know if something happens to us or if something happens to someone we love we automatically say well what did they do or what did i do have i done something bad god that i deserve this or why has this come upon me what sin did i uh, and so we connect the two even if we think we don't sometimes we can connect the two in our questioning but jesus time and time again doesn't seem to connect the two doesn't seem to he doesn't In this where these people are asking Why did this happen? Why did Pilate do this? And Jesus responds, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? Do you think it was because of their sin that this happened to them? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or the 18 on whom the Torah and Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? I.e., do you think that they sinned in such an extent that they deserved this? Do you think that they were worse at something? Do you think they sinned more and so deserved this? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And if you don't see it there, we'll go into somewhere else where we see it very clearly, which is John chapter 1, verse 19. And it's Jesus who healed a man born blind. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples, who were Jews, asked him, Rabbi, which is the way a Jew would address, a teacher, a master, uh, someone they followed. Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents that he was born blind i.e. Jesus something as bad has happened here we know that this isn't right that he is born blind from birth and so there's obviously that's the suffering part and so the human sin part that they connect is who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind it's like there's a cause and effect somebody must have sinned somebody must have done something really bad that they deserved this was it this man that did something or what, did his parents do something that they deserved this suffering that he was born blind? And Jesus says in verse 3 Neither this man nor his parents sinned. A clear answer. It's nothing to do with them. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And that's a very direct answer that he's saying about what he is going to do because he then helps this man to see. And so there's this connection which the Jews had, and there's this connection, which I think we still have, of what did I do? What did that person do? What did my friend do? What did that country do that they deserved such a thing to happen to them? And Jesus, in his normal response that he he has in John chapter 9 there, and also in this, is that he turns the question on its head. He doesn't necessarily go into a theological debate, which we might do if we were trying to answer that. He doesn't go through the bible he simply says no i tell you but unless you repent you will all likewise perish and we can jump very quickly into that because we hear that word repentance we know that idea of repentance it comes from the hebrew word that means literally to turn away from to reorientate ourselves away from and and uh, morris the company we've been looking at i'll come back to that actually this idea to turn away from to reorientate ourselves it's not that jesus is avoiding the subject it's not that he doesn't want to answer it it's not that he can't answer it it's not that he doesn't he's not able to figure it out it's that he sees something bigger or something more to it than simply oh it happened because of this or oh i tell you that god has a bigger plan in the picture it's not some trite it's not him being harsh it's not him avoiding a question it's him readdressing it in a way it should be because often when we come with our questions often when we come with our ideas we have them filled with emotional baggage we have all this personal agenda we have hurts we have pain we have confusion we have fear we have all these things and jesus always tries to cut through those to the heart of the issue and so he says no i tell you but unless you repent you will all likewise perish and so what does he mean by that well this idea of repentance is the idea from the word is that to means to turn away from, to reorientate yourself. So from what? Well, you will all likewise perish. Is he talking there simply about like oh, we'll go to this hell or, or we'll perish in that sense. And it's interesting that there's an individual and a lot of the commentaries and the two we especially look at, Morris and Berkeley. There's this idea of an individualistic expectation or we, we put in that and also a, a national And so there's this idea that the Jewish people, they weren't just individuals, they were part of the Israelites, they were part of the tribe, they were part of these people who were God's chosen people. And as Jesus, he he says that, well, sin and suffering aren't connected, they aren't rigidly connected. But what he does say, Barkley, this is, is that national sin, that a national identity actually is involved with sin. It's the idea that this isn't just about individuals, but this is about a national identity, a national idea. As Berkeley says, Jesus knew well that if the Jews went on with their intrigues, their rebellions, their plottings, their political ambitions, they were simply going to commit national suicide. He knew that in the end, Rome would step in and obliterate the whole nation. And that is precisely what happened. So what Jesus meant by this if the Jewish nation kept on seeking an earthly kingdom and rejecting of the kingdom of God, they could only come to one end, and that was to perish as a nation. I tell you, unless you repent from your ways, unless you reorientate yourselves, unless you turn away from the ideas that you have, you will all likewise perish as a nation. The same thing will happen physically to you that happened all these people. And so we can put this sense of individual repentance and perishing into it but what Jesus is saying is more than that as well as that this idea of a national identity and so when we think that we can't have anything to do with the overall schemes of our lands if we think that there's a corporate sense that we can't be involved in if we think there's something that's going on that we really won't make a difference in Jesus is saying unless you reorientate yourselves from those ideas, unless you turn away from those ideas, unless you actually see what you should be doing, then you will indeed perish with that land, with those people, with this nation. And He's essentially asking us, with the injustice you feel, if you come with these questions, if you come with the anger, with the hurt, with the confusion, what is your response to that? What are you going to do about that? Are you as an individual going to sit back and simply say, oh, well, I can't do anything. Or are you going to be part of a national identity which seeks to reorientate itself towards something, to repent and turn and reorientate ourselves toward something? And so it's to an individual sense, but it's also to a national sense. And then he goes on to the fig tree, which is this parable man of the fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit in it and found none. And he goes to the vine dresser, for three years now I've come seeking fruit and there's been none so I'm just going to cut it down. And the vine dresser says, oh give me one more year essentially. This is weird when we put it together, but it's all about usefulness. The tree wasn't useful, it hadn't done what it should do, it hadn't borne fruit and so when the man comes who has this fig tree planted in his vineyard he knows that it's not being useful it's not doing what it should do and so says cut it down and then the vine dresser says well give me one more year let me look at it let me help it let me put manure in it let me fertilize it let me dig around it let me water it let me do all the thing to try and make it as useful as i can and if not then fine cut it down get rid of it it's all about usefulness for the purpose and that's what we seek to be as well when we get this idea that we have to reorientate ourselves we have to repent we have to be part of something bigger with the injustices that we feel with the anger hurt confusion with all the things that we go see go on that we know are wrong are we simply going to back away from that and be like the fig tree that actually doesn't bear any fruit for god's kingdom or are we going to try in this year to bear fruit next year this year for the purpose that god has us for his kingdom if we're saying that as barclay says that uh, there's going to be national suicide because the day should keep kept on seeking an earthly kingdom and rejecting the kingdom of god is that what we do do we simply want things to be okay here so we can live more peacefully or harmoniously or do we reorientate ourselves make ourselves fruitful for the kingdom of god which might come at all sorts of cost to us but that is the, our purpose as Christians that is our purpose to bear fruit for the kingdom of God and this idea of repentance it's not just a one-off thing this is where more says about repentance uh, the certain verbs that are used in verses four and five by Luke it's both a once and for all event that shapes the whole subsequent course of our lives but it's also a day by day affair. It's something that is continual. It's not just something we do once and say, oh, well, that's us done. You know, we've become a Christian. We've kind of done our bit. It's a day by day. It's about this year. It's about doing something useful this year. And in a sense, we're coming to this, this period of Lent. We're coming to this Christian season of Lent. And so what will your response be? as I was growing up in, over the period of Lent, when you traditionally give things up or you you know, you know, give up crisps or chocolate or fizzy drinks or whatever it is you give up, I always tried to take something up. It was something my father encouraged us to do and something I noticed because a lot of my friends, a lot of my peers would kind of just give something up to prove a point, essentially, or because that's just what you did. We had this tradition of you gave give something up and so you did it, not necessarily to make yourself... Uh, have a, have a deeper faith with god not to make yourself prepared in any way for easter but just because you kind of have to did it, do it and when you got to easter it was like the feast because you just you'd shown that you had self-control and that was it or you'd lost a couple of pounds and so you could feast again and put it all back on again but lent isn't about that the purpose of lent is the preparation of the believer In Lent, many Christians commit to fasting as well as giving up certain luxuries in order to replicate the sacrifice of Christ's journey into the desert for 40 days. They make a special point of self-examination, of considering what wrongs they need to repent and what amendments of life or areas of spiritual growth they especially need to ask God's help in dealing with. It's not simply an act. It's not something we simply go through. And I try to encourage people to take something up. This year I'm giving up bread with one of my friends. I don't normally give things up one of my friends is going up bread for lent and i thought it would be good to try and encourage him and stand beside him and we'll be accountable to each other in that but also i'm going to take something up and we encouraged our young people and we encouraged our church to take up the lord's prayer which we looked at last week to take that up as a daily a bit like our repentance not once we don't just say it on sundays we don't just say it every so often that kind of ticks the box it's a daily event it's a daily reminder it's something we need to do to help increase our fruitfulness. And so it's not simply about going something through the motions. It's not about just repenting once. It's about this idea of preparing ourselves in a daily quest to become more fruitful. The whole passage we've looked at is not about pointing the finger. People essentially came to ask God, Well, well who send are those people? They pointed the finger at the Galileans and said, they must have been worse sinners or people killed in tar and siloam and said well they must have been really bad and jesus kind of goes why are you why are you pointing the finger at them what is your part in this national identity what is your part what is what what do you do what is your role when it comes to your response here how do you respond what are you going to do with that Is it just something that you go through the motions of, you go through the hurt and anger and confusion and you turn out worse because of it or do you find a way of making yourself better and more fruitful? And as I was talking about that on Sunday, there are always, you look around the church, you say those words and there are always people you could pick out and everybody has suffered in some sense. There's a parable that uh, Peter Rollins tells about a woman who loses her child and she can't she can't get herself she can't bring herself to actually bury the child and so she goes to this wise man and the wise man says well if you bring me a mustard seed I'll be able to bury your child and so she goes around and tries to find this mustard seed and goes to a few houses and there's nothing there and eventually comes back after a few weeks to the wise man and says I haven't found a mustard seed but I want to bury my child And the whole parable, that's kind of a paraphrase of it, but the whole parable centers around this idea that she felt her pain so heavily and that pain weighed upon her so much that she thought she was the only one. And when she went around these houses asking for a mustard seed, they of course asked her why and she went through the whole story and discovered that everybody had lost somebody or something. Everybody knew the pain of that and they were able to help her through the grief of that. And I look down each Sunday and say some of these things. It's easy to see people who grieve and suffer and have and still do. And there's nothing I or there's nothing these words can do to take that away or, or help that. But I suppose in the sense of when Jesus says for those who have ears, there are people who are ready to use that pain and grief and suffering to help others. Or to be fruitful for God's kingdom. Or to find a way of making themselves and others better in the midst of it. And it's those people at this time. I can't say these words to someone who's just lost somebody. Or someone who's in the midst of those pain. Because that is too raw. And that would be trite or harsh. But for those who have ears. And for us in the midst of that. Our response is one of usefulness is one of fruitfulness and the challenge for each of us is how we are fruitful in what we do where we are otherwise we'll eventually perish in the midst of hopelessness in the midst of pain in the midst of fear this is the year as it said next year well and good but if not you can cut it down this is the year and so if you want to respond simply respond this year if you want to step out step out this year if you want to be fruitful be fr- fr- fruitful this year be fruitful today take a step and even this lent say the lord's prayer each day and test god in that see what he will do with that see the ways he will change and challenge you challenge you in that you can go back and listen to last week's podcast to find out a little bit more on that but may you my brothers and sisters know the grace and peace of god And may you know the challenge of being fruitful for him and for his kingdom in these days. Grace and peace.